and welcome to the latest Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom. It's Wednesday, the 3rd of February, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Tamar Herman, who is a senior research fellow at the Israel Democracy Institute and the academic director of the Viterbi Family Center for Public Opinion and Policy Research. She is a leading expert in Israeli public opinion, and she produces the annual Israeli Democracy Index and the monthly Israeli Voice Index. So, uh, Professor Tamar, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. So if we could start with kind of the, the probably the top issue of the day and the and the coronavirus, uh, what's your overall assessment of how the public uh, the public confidence of the Israeli government's handling of the comp- of the uh, virus? Okay, I'll start by saying that uh, in fact we can't talk about one public opinion in Israel because public opinion is deeply split by people's political affiliations. So uh, there are people who dislike the government and dislike Netanyahu. And when uh, they are being asked about the handling of the coronavirus uh, pandemic, they will probably say, well, it's awful the way that they are dealing with uh, uh, this problem. Uh, Everything they do is motivated by their uh, political interest and agenda and that they can't do anything right. Uh, It's the worst on earth what they are doing. Whereas the Netanyahu's fan, they may not be so thrilled with the way uh, that the government is dealing with the problem, but uh, they will be much milder in their criticism. They will say, okay, the situation is very complicated. All democracies seem to be incapable of dealing very successfully. The the, the Israeli population is uh, deeply segmented and therefore it's very difficult to deal with the same time, in the same time with the ultra-Orthodox, with the Arabs, with the free Republic of Tel Aviv uh, inhabitants and so on and so forth. And therefore talking about one Israeli public opinion in this regard, would be a bit misleading because we will aim to the mean or the average and the average says very little about the different opinions within this uh, 9 million people uh, population. Just on a, as, a, as a side note, um, there's been a, a fair bit of discussion in the international community with regard to the rights and wrongs of Israel, Israel providing a vaccine to the Palestinians. Do you have any data to suggest how the Israeli public feels about that? We asked the question in this regard a couple of months ago, so it is not uh, uh, really up to date what I have, but I think that it will still hold water And again, we go by the political divisions within Israel. Uh, The people of the center and certain left would say, of course, this is very critical to provide them with the vaccines because uh, they are our neighbors. Uh, It's a a humanitarian obligation of Israel as a democracy to take care of people as such. And also they would, make the, I would say, the very maybe Machiavellian uh, explanation that pandemic doesn't stop uh, uh, on the border. 
that if uh, the pandemic will uh, be uh, uh, very, very uh, um, severe on, 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 on uh, the Palestinian side of the Green Line or in Gaza, then necessarily it will uh, boomerang uh, as far as Israel is, is concerned because things will come back to Israel. We have thousands of Palestinian workers that are working in Israel legally or illegally uh, right now. And uh, this will uh, surely uh, have uh, negative implications on the situation within Israel. Those on the right are more, I would say, reserved in this regard. And um, I, I should mention here that the family of Hadar Goldin, the a soldier that was killed during uh, the operation in Gaza and his body is held by Hamas, is organizing a, a very uh, vociferous, I would say, campaign against giving the Palestinians uh, uh, the vaccines. And they argue that in order to get their uh, son's body back, Israel should put pressure on, on the Hamas authorities by saying uh, uh, it's give and take. We will give you the vaccines if you'll give back uh, uh, the body of, the, of, of our dead son. And therefore they say that uh, Netanyahu is actually betraying them by giving certain amount of vaccines without putting this demand as a precondition for helping the Palestinians. So it's a big mess here, which is uh, uh, not really motivated solely by uh, people's compassions, but also by their political agenda. If we go back and look at a kind of the, the Israeli society um, dealing with both the, the economic and the, uh, the health uh, ramifications of the coronavirus. Um, and I would say if we start with looking at the ultra-Orthodox community, um, there's been widely reported and the, we've seen the, the images on Israeli media about the, uh, the, the huge gatherings of tens of thousands of people at the, uh, the funerals of rabbis this week. Um, and what appears to be kind of the lack of enforcement amongst the ultra-Orthodox community. Um, I just wanted to get your sense, how prevalent do you think that is across the broad section of, of ultra-Orthodox society? How much are they law-abiding in general? And how much kind of do those, do those images encapsulate what's going on in the community? Well, of course, we don't have exact numbers because uh, we see the people... Uh, uh, in the street, but we don't see the people who stay at home. And, and I don't want to, uh, you know, to, to say uh, something in general because it will be unjust to uh, the part of the ultra-Orthodox community, which is uh, more compliant with the government uh, instructions. Uh, uh, but I can give you some indication uh, in our latest uh, uh, Israeli voice uh, survey that was conducted three days ago, uh, we presented the question regarding uh, financial penalties and uh, legal measures against uh, uh, leaders and uh, uh, bodies uh, within the ultra-Orthodox community who uh, are actually encouraging people to disobey, okay? And when we uh, segmented the answers of the ultra-Orthodox respondents, about one quarter 
of the ultra-orthodox respondents were in favor, on, on, uh, in favor of such measures against the ultra, their own community. This uh, may give us some impression uh, about the number of those within the ultra-orthodox community who are um, in opposition uh, to the mainstream resistance to comply. So at least one uh, quarter uh, are saying this is uh, 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 the wrong way to, to deal with the state and with the pandemic. So it is at least one quarter, I assume that we might have uh, even higher numbers. And we see that uh, the division within the ultra-Orthodox community between the Sephardi, the Hasidic, and the Lithuanian, uh, 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 this is very, very critical because uh, the, the Sephardi uh, communities are more compliant with the state uh, uh, um, orders, uh, mainly because they are less critical of uh, uh, the uh, state of Israel as such. Many of them see themselves as Zionists. Many of them served in the army or their parents served in the, their father served in the army. So they are less the hardcore of, of resistors. Uh, and so are the, the Lithuanians. The Lithuanians are, are more concerned with, um, with uh, uh, I would say, studying, but they do not necessarily do it in, uh, in their synagogues, fibles, or, 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 or uh, uh, the education system. But the Hasidic are the, the strongest basis for uh, the uh, opposition to, to the state. So even in this relatively small community, we see these divisions because uh, in, in every family in Israel, there is the division between the voters of the right, the center and the left or the soft left and the, and, 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 and the hardcore left. So as a very politicized and a very segmented society, it is very difficult for scholars of public opinion to give any generalization that would both not be false as uh, concerning significant number of, of uh, Israelis. I understand. It was interesting you just mentioned army service. I wondered if you could just uh, update us uh, for a moment of where we are with the issue of the ultra-Orthodox uh, um, induction into the IDF. I understand there was kind of a, the court again had demanded the government to legislate on the issue. Presumably this is now on hold due to the elections, but could you just yeah, actually, uh, update us? Go ahead. Actually, uh, at this very moment, they should uh, be mobilized to, to the IDF, but no one thinks about doing it. You see, I mean, we, uh, the, the, the problems with them are so severe right now that no one would send military police in order to uh, bring uh, those who were uh, supposed to, to register and didn't. Uh, so I suppose that it, it, uh, we, it depends on, on the results of the upcoming elections, who the, the uh, prime minister is going to be. Uh, let's imagine that Yair Lapid would be the next uh, uh, prime minister of Israel, then the entire issue of the army and the ultra-Orthodox will be dealt totally differently than if Netanyahu will be again Israel's prime minister based on a very uh, uh, strong uh, uh, dependence 
the on 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 the ultra orthodox uh, party. So we we live in in an I would say in uncertain times as as this uh, issue is concerned. But I should mention here something else. Some people are saying, why do we want them in the army if they do not even obey the civic law? <laughs> or the government regulations. So should we really train them into fighting with weapons? Should we really put them in the army where obedience is a, a, a the first uh, actually commandment? So maybe uh, with these guys, we don't want them there for these two reasons. We don't want them to be better fighters and we certainly don't want them to start eroding the issue of uh, obedience within the army. Hmm, interesting. What do you think, I mean, generally about the, the long-term trends of, uh, of integrating the ultra-Orthodox into, uh, into the rest of society? Where, 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 are, where are they feeling from within their own community? Um, this question uh, is now being seen in a very different light than it was seen, say, one year ago. A year ago, people were uh, a bit more open to the option of uh, integration, um, which uh, would have demanded certain kinds of compromises to be made by the secular segments of the Israeli society. Like, let's open the doors uh, for the ultra-Orthodox to integrate in the uh, academic uh, sphere, in, 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 in the uh, labor market and so on and so forth. And we will make some small sacrifices in order to have them there. After what has happened in the last couple of weeks or months, I suppose that the resistance to making any compromise is getting higher. Actually, someone wrote the day before yesterday that with every funeral of such a rabbi in Jerusalem, Yair Lapid gets another mandate uh, from, from the secular uh, community, of course. So uh, I think that the rules of the game uh, have changed dramatically in, in uh, uh, recent months and even more so in recent weeks. So we can't really uh, make any prophecy because we don't know where is this going to end because it may uh, become really violent uh, uh, in the next couple of weeks and then the entire picture uh, will be different. But the idea was uh, uh, before uh, these last uh, uh, clashes. Um, the, the prevalent idea was that we should be more, I would say, multiculti, uh, uh, as, as the Germans uh, refer to that, or multicultural, in order to enable the ultra-Orthodox to integrate to some extent that is acceptable uh, for them. But still, of course, uh, it comes to the point where um, the fact that they have books uh, on which they rely when saying, well, we can't do that. We can't sit in a room with a woman. It's written. Whereas the secular in Israel, we don't have any book to rely on. So uh, 
when the, this dialogue was conducted uh, between secular and ultra-Orthodox, we didn't have anything uh, that we could say it is forbidden by our scriptures because we don't have scriptures. It is not forbidden by our rabbis because we don't have rabbis. So uh, we uh, actually uh, lost uh, many of these uh, uh, debates uh, because uh, we hardly have any real secular in Israel. In, 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 uh, for example, in, in France, you have people who are deeply secular as they are religious in their secularism. In Israel, it is all matter of level of observing some traditional habits. For example, most Israelis would circumcise their, their sons, okay? They wouldn't say, okay, this is some religious mambo jumbo. Uh, many Israelis keep kosher, many Israelis Self-defined secular would, uh, for example, celebrate uh, Yom Kippur or, or Passover or whatever. So people are not convinced secular. So the entire issue uh, is, is very sensitive and delicate. Um, just in terms of uh, integration, um, how do you rate the, uh, the concerns or the efforts of the Israeli Arab community to integrate into mainstream Israeli society? Well, here I'm much more optimistic. In, in the last, I would say, decade, maybe even a bit more, we see uh, some very uh, intensive or some... Uh, the, the integration has been very successful. Actually, uh, if one lives in Israel and walks into uh, a pharmacy, 90% uh, chances that the pharmacist would be an Israeli Arab, men or women. Uh, we see them almost everywhere, uh, um, lawyers, accountants, doctors and, and nurses in, in, in hospitals. Um, and uh, what makes it easier is the fact that uh, because of what is happening on the Israeli-Palestinian level, uh, this uh, dead-end situation that uh, we uh, witness uh, for years and years now, uh, the Israeli Arabs, um, uh, have become less nationalistic. I would say less committed to the, to the Palestinian national struggle. And uh, uh, they were quote unquote gentrified. They, uh, and more individualistic. They uh, want to have good life for themselves and their kids. They would like to be accepted by the Israeli Jewish society to integrate. Uh, many of them do not have even the slightest accent. Uh, and, and, and you see them in every walk of life or walks of life here. So um, the situation is better. However, they are very angry with the fact that uh, all sorts of criminal activities are taking place in the Arab uh, in the Arab villages and, 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 and towns and, and uh, uh, 
um, and cities, there are very few cities, uh, Arab cities, but in, in, in the Arab uh, sections of large cities, and the police seem to be incapable or unwilling to deal with this uh, effectively. So uh, they say, uh, even if they don't say it openly, they say it in, in, their, in their mind, they say, okay, we are ready to uh, uh, downplay our nationalistic uh, demands in return for being integrated in Israeli Jewish society. But in return, we uh, actually uh, uh, demand to have protection by the police and by the authorities, as well as uh, at least equal budgets, if not larger budgets, in order to compensate for the many years in which they were discriminated against. Uh, but basically, the direction I see there is much more promising than uh, with the um, with the Israeli Jewish uh, ultra-Orthodox. There, what we see is a growing uh, sense of, um, uh, I would say, uh, uh, walking as far as possible from the Israeli mainstream in order and, and building very high fences because they're very much afraid uh, that the youth would be tempted by uh, uh, the secular uh, lifestyle. And with the cellular phones, it is very difficult to control what they see, what they want, what they uh, would like to be part of. And indeed the number of the um, uh, OTD of the derech, uh, the Yotzim B'Shela is, is getting higher and higher. And what we see in the last couple of years is even uh, families, husband, wife, and kids that are leaving the ultra-Orthodox community. And this is a huge threat to uh, the leaders and therefore they are really making the fences higher and higher. Just back on the uh, Israeli-Arab uh, communities, um, have you got any data that, uh, that tests how, how do the, uh, the population within the Israeli-Arab communities feel about the Abraham Accords, as opposed to the, uh, the uh, Israeli-Arab politicians that all votes against it in the joint list? What's the, uh, what's the public perception of, the, uh, of that normalization with the Gulf states? Uh, they are much more in favor uh, of, of these accords compared to, to the leaders. And it, this goes hand in hand with what I mentioned earlier, that the interest in the national uh, uh, struggle is uh, uh, much more uh, moderate than it used to be. And the ability to take a flight, I mean, under regular circumstances, to go to Dubai to meet Arabs that are not hostile to them. Because if they go to Egypt, for example, the Egyptians are quite hostile towards the Israeli Arabs because they think that they have undergone an Israelization process. They say that you are more Israelis than, than Palestinians and uh, uh, the fact that you stayed there after the Nakba and, and uh, whatever. So in Dubai, they are, uh, they, they are welcome, they can enjoy uh, uh, the culture, the food, uh, the music, 
whatever. And we see them in thousands and thousands going there. And uh, we will see that this with, with Morocco as well. I mean, probably not Sudan, but Bahrain, Dubai, the, EU, uh, the United Emirates and Morocco are, are highly likened destinations for the Israeli uh, Turkey now is not good for them because, I mean, they go to Turkey as, as by default, but uh, uh, as, as Turkey has become uh, quite radical from the Islamic point of view, this is not what they are looking. This is what they have at home. They, they want openness. They, they, they want some good life. Uh, absolutely. Um, just if we look ahead to the Israeli elections, um, what do you think are the, are the top issues on the agenda? Um, it's, it's a good question because uh, uh, top of my head, I would say, and this would be very superficial, I would say pro-Bibi and against Bibi, for Bibi and against Bibi. But this is not exactly that. I mean, it is deeper than that. It is what Netanyahu stands for or, or symbolize. And he symbolizes uh, uh, um, I would say uh, perhaps a non-liberal democratic consciousness. A bit like uh, Urban in, in Hungary, Modi in uh, India, Bolsonaro in, uh, in, in Brazil. Uh, he doesn't like this issue of division of powers. He doesn't like the idea of a strong uh, Supreme Court and so on and so forth. So it is not necessarily Netanyahu. It is Netanyahu who stands for a specific kind of a democratic regime. It is still democratic. I wouldn't say that the guy is totally off uh, the road in terms of his democratic consciousness, but he's certainly not for a universalist liberal kind of democracy which the center and certainly the left in Israel stands for. So it, and it is also about the identity of the state. Does one see it as a state of all its citizens, not necessarily in its formal definition, but in its essence, while he sees it as, as, as a Jewish state first and foremost, okay? Not a democratic state first and foremost. So uh, under the umbrella term of the pro-anti-Bibi, I see deeper currents and deeper disagreement. What do you think about uh, the issue, the, the issue of the, uh, the legal system and the judiciary? How much is that a, a wedge issue for Israeli society? In our surveys, uh, we ask a, a, a question which doesn't touch upon this uh, uh, directly, but the answers give us uh, 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 an answer to, to your question. We ask, um, do you agree or disagree with the statement that the democratic regime in Israel is in a great danger or grave danger? And we get uh, over three quarters of the center and the left saying yes and about one uh, a quarter on the right. When we ask the people on the left and the center, why, what's the main uh, hazard to Israeli democracy? They say the fact that the Supreme Court and the judiciary is being ground down by the uh, government and by uh, the right-wing uh, politicians and 
this is the, the, the biggest danger to Israeli democracy, the fact that the Supreme Court is, or, or, or is under the threat of being, in a way, being paralyzed by the variety of initiatives coming from uh, the uh, top politicians of the right. When we ask the people on, on the right who said that Israeli democracy is in grave danger, why, what's the danger? They say that the judiciary is too strong and is actually limiting to an unacceptable uh, degree the uh, ability of the government to govern. So they identify the danger in the, safe in the same location, but they see it in a totally opposite manner. Very interesting. Um, and just a, a last, last couple of questions. If you think, um, and again, I imagine this is kind of div div divided again by politi people's political perspectives, but I wonder if you think that the trial of Prime Minister Netanyahu will have influence over the, uh, over the election. Um, and then on the other side, whether the, the, the anti-Netanyahu protests that are still happening on a weekly basis, how much that influences the voters? Well, uh, um, the question is, will he uh, be present in the court in February? I mean, will he show up? I mean, if he doesn't show up, then it will, uh, I would say, set uh, a stronger fire uh, on his opponent side. They will say, okay, you see, this is it. I mean, he's a citizen, he's supposed to come uh, and, and uh, face the, the allegations against him and, and he doesn't do that. And this is undemocratic, blah, 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 blah. I'm saying blah, 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 because I don't want to repeat everything that I said, not because I think it's, uh, <laughs> it's really blah, blah. Uh, and his uh, supporters would say that this is a scheme against him by uh, the old elites uh, that are joining forces with the judiciary. So uh, it is an issue. I would say that he was saved by the corona uh, pandemic because the trial is not at the center anymore of the political uh, uh, discussion. Um, and, and it's very interesting because if uh, he, he uh, is not going to win the elections and if there is another prime minister, then he can't be, I mean, he'll have to leave politics because if the, the, uh, uh, the court case against him will continue, he will not be able to be a member of Knesset or a minister by the law. Only a prime minister can stay in office while the entire proceedings and the procedure is, is taking place. So this will change totally his situation. This is why he's fighting so strongly against the case, the case court. So it is certainly an issue. It is less of an issue than it was uh, several months ago, but uh, this is only because people's attention is now directed in, in different directions than that one. But it's, um, I would say that it is uh, something very, very significant uh, to uh, the future development. Mm. And last, last question, slightly unfair, because we are still seven, eight weeks away from the election, but uh, standing now, what, what prediction would you make 
as to the uh, as to the overall spread and the results. What do you anticipate? I never make predictions <laughs> as far as elections are concerned. This is an iron law for me because I think that you are bound to fail, and I'll tell you why. Because we don't know. Uh, really anything right now. And this is why uh, I do lots of surveys, but I never do this kind of surveys because I know that people uh, are changing their minds sometimes when they take this specific ballot in order to, to put it there because you, uh, th they have all these emotional issues like I can't vote for this or I will not betray my party. So what they say when they uh, talk to the interviewers on the phone, it is more, I would say, uh, more logical, more rational maybe. But when they stand there, it's a very emotional moment. And, and people tend to act upon their emotions rather based on their minds in this uh, very sensitive moment. So I don't know exactly what the results uh, uh, are going to be. And it depends much on the voting of the Arab sector because 40% uh, uh, of them only said that they were going to vote uh, by our uh, previous uh, survey. And this may change the entire, the, the entire scene. Uh, basically, we see that uh, the joint list have already already lost one third by, by the surveys. Again, who knows? So uh, the the uh, all these speculations, I, I think, are uh, a, a, a negative response, in my view, to this inability, impatience, and our inability to just wait and see, because these predictions are actually shaping the situation. Uh, and, and, and the best uh, uh, example for that is the very large number of parties uh, that have quit the competition in the last couple of days because the survey say, or said that they wouldn't pass the threshold. And we know, from past experience that, for example, uh, I wouldn't name the party, but there was at least one party that by the surveys got less than what is needed in order to uh, get a seat in the Knesset and they withdrew at the very last moment. However, a survey, post-election survey, uh, said that if they were running, that they could have gotten more than one seat. Okay, so we should be very, very careful with these uh, issues. The predictions make reality. And I think that in a democratic process, uh, experts should take one step back and uh, just observe and analyze, not shape reality. Unless they, of course, join politics and this, then this is fine. Professor, thank you very much indeed for your time today. That was really fascinating. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye.